Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, November 11th, 2017. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Tonight we have Michael Weaver with us, and this part, this program is subtitled, Perils of a Pro-White Activist. He was railroaded in Columbus, Georgia, because he pepper-sprayed a Negro that was trying to rob him. Even though pepper-spray is not illegal in Georgia, but Michael Weaver's real offense was his past as an advocate for white interests and a regular distributor of National Alliance literature throughout the streets of the city. Michael had previously distributed nearly 100,000 flyers and pamphlets in the Columbus area that attacked illegal immigration, affirmative action, and Jewish influence in the mainstream media. He was National Alliance Activist of the Year for 2008. This interview may have been more timely, or or at least our audience hearing Michael's story, because this will be more of a conversation than an interview, This may have been more timely back in June or July, before the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, since we think Michael's story is exemplary of the quagmire in which one may end up by advocating for whites in an anti-white environment, where our enemies have a decisive upper hand in local government. That certainly seems to be the case in Columbus, Georgia. And while Charlottesville is even farther along the path to Bolshevism than Columbus is, if they can get away with treating Michael Weaver the way they have in Georgia, there are not too many places where white nationalists stand a chance once they get involved in a case where they have to defend themselves against Negroes and other beasts. It seems that for Michael Weaver and also for our fellow patriots in Charlottesville. As soon as a white nationalist needs to defend himself, he alone is the guilty party. Here this evening we have Michael Weaver to tell us his story. Hello, Michael. Hello, how are you? Welcome to Christagenia. Thank you for being here. Uh, Thank you for having me as a guest. I know that you really, um, you really want to get your story out to as many outlets as possible concerning the injustices that have done to you, been done to you in Columbus. I think, as um, as I've said in my introduction, that this is also your story is a very good in- example of what all of us have to expect if we ever have to defend ourselves in a place like Charlottesville, where where we've attended a rally or or any other white nationalist activity. Correct, and also um, my case uh, also can um, you can you can see the, the the parallels between my case and Christopher Cantwell's case. He defended himself with uh, non-lethal pepper spray, and recently um, had two charges dismissed out of three charges, but he's still facing one felony count for the total lawful defensive use of pepper spray. So here we have video evidence of another activist defending themselves against a, a horde of communists that are extremely violent. And for defending himself, he himself is 
in the gulag in Charlottesville County Jail for simply defending himself. So, I mean, anyone can see from the situation that happened with me and now compare it with what is happening now with Christopher Cantwell can see the, the handwriting on the wall that if basically you're an activist for unpopular views um, by the Jewish-controlled mass media, then you're going to be railroaded for defending yourself. Absolutely, and and we were we were in Charlottesville, and we um, witnessed firsthand all the things that the leftists were were able to do with us, with the police standing by just laughing about it, and and men writhing on the ground in in what with the, the initial pain of pepper spray, and and some of the substances that the leftists were using were far worse than that, and the cops were just laughing. <laughs> and that they had only um, initially only arrested people from our side who were really only defending themselves. It, it's a serious injustice. But what happened to you in Columbus, Georgia, happened. What was able to happen by only a um, a single cop? It looked like in in collusion with one local prosecutor. Well, what happened also in Columbus, Georgia, was due to the influence of a Jewish rabbi that is nationally known named Rabbi Jeffrey Salkin, who boasted on his website that basically he was influential and he was influential in what happened to me in Columbus, Georgia, which is code word basically is I put pressure on the judge and the assistant DA, Michael Eugene Craig, to make sure that the Goy got what he deserved for daring to speak out against Jewish influence and other issues that are considered uh, taboo in today's politically correct environment. Do you want to um, take the time to recount how how exactly? Well, well, first let's talk about your your awakening, National Alliance. Okay, you 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 were a young man. You're still a young man. You were only uh, right. Well, I am, I'm 30. For your listeners, I'm 37 years old. I was born on Hitler's birthday of April 20th, 1980. Good day, but to me, that's still a young man. <laughs> I'm not that old. Yeah, I came. But... I came across. I came across the National Alliance. Um, I was in high school. Uh, there, I met a gentleman by the name of Dustin Bussey. He had a magazine called a uh, very interesting magazine called American Survival Guide. Not sure if it's in print or not to this day and there was an ad in there and the ad simply said um you know had contact information that says uh pro-white music you know and then uh, had an address and send a couple of dollars to cover postage so me and him did that and then we got a big package in the mail and it included literature from the national alliance and uh, also had a, a very interesting comic book uh geared towards high school students called white wheel comics and um, I thought it was quite interesting and did some further research. And, uh, you know, uh, before I actually became a member of the National Alliance, I would distribute their uh, leaflets and pamphlets in stickers all over Columbus, Georgia. And even we were handing them out to high school students. So you were in high school in Columbus? Cor uh correct. At the time when I first uh, got in contact with the National Alliance, um, it was to a guy that, unfortunately, I found out later on he's deceased. Uh, his name was Joe Ross of a company called 88 Enterprises, and um, that's when I received a, a, a record called Bound for Glory, um, and it included literature from the National Alliance. 
We've actually been through Columbus, Georgia a bunch of times the last five years, ever since we moved to Panama City. It, it's, um, I mean, lately we tried to avoid Atlanta by going through Birmingham, but if you go north mm-hmm. through Atlanta, you go through Columbus. It, it doesn't seem like that black a town. What was your high school yes. like? Uh, the high school which I attended, it was probably, I would say the racial mix was something like um, 60, 60-40, 60% white, 40% black at well, the time when I when I went to high school. Relatively, being only an hour from Atlanta, that doesn't sound too bad, right? I mean, Yeah, well, Columbus, Columbus Georgia is uh, a city like Charlottesville that's basically uh, controlled by extremely um, <laughs> corrupt Democrats. Basically, if you run for any kind of position there, whether it's mayor or a sitting Superior Court judge, you're not going to pretty much – you're not going to get elected into office unless you're a registered Democrat in Columbus, Georgia. It's totally controlled by leftists there. That's interesting. The, the, um... what's, even, what's, even more inter- what's even more interesting is the fact that um, when I was arrested, it was originally a misdemeanor, and I went to court to resolve the misdemeanor three separate occasions, and the first occasion, um, they couldn't get the witness to show up because he himself had violated his probation and was sitting in the county jail. Second time, their excuse was is the arresting officer couldn't show up because he was in a different county for additional training. And then the third time, they just told me after making me wait, you know, about four hours in the courtroom, they said, well, we're giving this over to the to the DA's office, and they're going to upgrade the charge to an aggravated assault. So I had left that day and um, went to speak to an attorney, explained to this attorney, um, and he said the case is complete bullshit. There's no way it's an aggravated assault under the, the case law, 16-5-21, the official code of Georgia. And um, later on, I'm riding with my father. I'm driving. He's in the passenger seat. Um, I was pulled over by uh, Muscogee County Sheriff's deputies, and guns were drawn towards my dad and I. And uh, at that time, I was arrested, put in cuffs, and I was uh, charged then with felony aggravated assault for pepper spray. So they actually tracked you down when they upgraded the charges rather than just call your lawyer and have you report and turn yourself yeah in. well i no, i didn't have i didn't i was unable to i talked to an attorney but I was unable to retain him because I didn't have the financial means at that uh, time to to okay. get this attorney but had I been able to not rely on a public defender aka public pretender, I probably would have never went to prison and I would have never been banished from my home in Columbus, Georgia, which doesn't expire, by the way, for your listeners, until 2021. It was a 10-year banishment. Keep in mind now, according to the Muskogee County Sheriff's website, there are over 600 registered sex offenders that live in Columbus, Georgia, and under the case law of Terry, that's T-E-R-R-Y, versus Hamrick, H-A-M-R-I-C-K, Terry versus Hammer case law that they used to justify my banishment, strangely enough, is not used to banish these 600 registered sex offenders that are allowed to live in the People's Republic of Columbus, Georgia. Yeah, the banishment to me is crazy. Let's get back to your early years, though. I, I think we're getting. Sure. I, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. I know you have a lot 
probably running through your head and you want to get it all out tonight and and we have plenty of time um okay you you, you came out of high school a national alliance member and uh yeah so first i was a supporter and then i uh, later on i joined because i believe at that current time um the minimum age to join was 18. And you probably came out of high school around 1998, 99? Cur- uh, yes. So you correct. you stayed with the National Alliance a long time. I mean, you were pretty... Oh, yeah, um, I, was with the Na- I was with the National Alliance for quite some time and even had the opportunity of meeting Dr. William Pierce in person at a meeting in Dahlonega, Georgia. Right. You were, you, you were the activist of the year 10 years later in 2008. How much um, yes. you distributed a lot of literature throughout the streets of Columbus, Georgia? That must have attracted some attention to you. You must have had at least some minor notoriety before this case happened. Oh yeah, I was writing letters to the editor that were sometimes published by the local paper, the Ledger Inquirer. Um, when I was putting out my literature, I was um, distributing them on cop cars, sheriff's cars, and I had hit every attorney's office in downtown Columbus, Georgia, and every uh, judge that um, was sitting on the bench of Columbus, Georgia, would receive literature in the mail. So these that these people that they knew of you, I mean, they must have known of you to some degree. These this Kathleen Bush, I think her name was this. this oh, um, yeah, uh, yeah, Kathy Bush. She was a she's a redhead detective that um, has been stalking me for years, merely because of my. 100% legal activism of distributing flyers. Apparently, uh, to be a cop, uh, it, uh, apparently they don't believe in upholding the United States Constitution, namely the First Amendment that guarantees a citizen's right to distribute literature. So she had been stalking me for numerous years and harassing me, and um, I had uh, numerous encounters with law enforcement for uh, peacefully putting out my literature. People would call the police on me, and anywhere from two cops would show up, sometimes upwards to eight or nine cops would show up and they would pass my flyers around and try to find any little thing on the flyer that they could use to uh, justify an arrest. So she's white? Um, yes, yeah, she, she's white. She's a redhead. Wow. Uh, she was with the... She, uh, during my uh, kangaroo court hearing, um, she appeared in court with copies of literature from the Southern Poverty Law Center in her hand. She had one of their intelligence reports in her hand, and in the other hand, she had a little booklet um, that said, Terror on the Right, and she declared herself in court as a, quote, hate crimes expert. Incredible. I'd like to check her out some more. Maybe we could write something about her. I, well, I, she, she, she's, she, I uh, filed numerous complaints about her. Um, when I did, uh, my dad and I um, were basically, uh, you know, sh- sh- shouted out by her uh, supervisor, a guy named Lieutenant McMichael, and uh, it was at the police department. And my father and I felt very uncomfortable because, at the time that this lieutenant was shouting at us for merely exposing uh, one of their uh, subordinates, um, I felt like me and my dad basically were in a very dicey situation because all the cops stood up like they were going to do something to either my father or myself simply because we filed a complaint about her misconduct and in fact she's got caught numerous times leaving bars completely drunk and operating at that time a government vehicle while under the influence of alcohol 
and she's got a reputation for doing that, just that, you know. But apparently, when you're a, a police officer, it's okay that you think you're above the law, and the laws don't apply to you, and doesn't matter if you're driving drunk and putting other people in harm's way. Um, by the way, I was also going to mention um, the original assistant DA was a guy named Don Kelly, and he uh, was arrested the same day I was for the pepper spray incident for getting pulled over by a, a state trooper for driving under the influence. By the way, so the same people that are you know going to be um, prosecuting cases of people committing crimes are actually guilty of committing crimes themselves. Oh, the irony! Yeah, that's um, wow. Okay, there's a lot of irony. I, I saw the father, the, the article that your father wrote, con- contrasting, I should say, your mm-hmm. case to this. Um, I think his name was Jeffrey Fox or something like that. that oh this... yes, um, my dad wrote that excellent article about. At that time, he was Jeffrey Fox was a black officer of the Columbus Police Department who got caught now on his dash cam um, targeting white motorists to give them tickets, which is racially profiling. Um, no charges, even though he uh, violated the, the rights, the civil rights of white people by targeting them based on race to pull them over for tickets. Um, he did receive a little slap on the hand, I think a, a one-day suspension, of, if I'm correct, by a black major named Julius Graham. And um, some some kind of sensitivity training, but had he been a white officer targeting motorists based on race, you know as well as I do that not would the media would have got heavily involved, but he would have been fired that same day. Absolutely. So, and then, um, well, also there was a, a black female named. People can look this up online. April Wheeler. And in Columbus, Georgia, she pepper sprayed five people, including a person that was holding a five-month-old baby. And even though she pepper sprayed five people, including a five-month-old baby, she was only charged with two misdemeanors. And she wouldn't even have been charged with those two misdemeanors, but the reason why she was charged with them is because she wanted to argue um, with police officers. So they charged her like disorderly conduct and one other misdemeanor. But she wasn't banned nor charged with aggravated assault for using uh, pepper spray. I'm the only person in the state of Georgia that have ever been sent to a state penitentiary for using uh, non-lethal pepper spray. That's incredible. So but this, is shows obviously... you, this is shows you right here that we're living under judicial tyranny. And when I mean judicial tyranny, I mean the spelling with J-E-W. Right. Exactly. I, I would wholeheartedly agree. Um, okay, let's talk about the original incident that... Sure got you in this prompt into this trouble because the mm-hmm. um and I'm sure that you're well aware of this that that is a um a contrary version of the events pu- published in the local newspapers that tried okay. to make these yeah. that tried to make these um negro beasts look like innocent passersby when they were pepper sprayed mm-hmm. correct well only one both of them were actually both of them um, were on felony probation when they tried to get in my vehicle. Travis Parson is the man that I sprayed, and um, his buddy didn't get sprayed because that window on the passenger side, it was actually up, and I had found out both of their records. The guy actually sprayed, had lied to police officers, and was also a local drug dealer. The other guy name was Frank Bellamy, who wasn't sprayed, 
And he had a prior robbery conviction. So here's a guy trying to get in my car that has a prior robbery conviction, but yet the assistant DA, Michael Craig, acted like they were just minding their own business, walking in the middle of the street. Didn't mention the fact that before they tried to get in my car, they were walking down the street with beer bottles in their hand, and they were under the influence of alcohol. And uh, he tried to make it look like they were just innocent victims, and I just sprayed them for no reason whatsoever, simply because of the color of their skin. Bellamy, that's a strange name for a nigger. Frank Bellamy was, was the one with the prior robbery conviction, but he wasn't sprayed. It was uh, Travis Parson that was sprayed that grabbed the car door handle on my driver's side. Well, well, right. I mean, the thing that you did, probably any of us would have done. I mean, two niggers Well, yeah, I was, I was telling night. people, well, um, it, it, just imagine if you're a criminal on felony probation and try to go up to a police officer's car while the officer is in there and do that, try to open their car and see what happens to you. Yeah, you'd be shot, tased at least. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so if if you're going to complain that I have pepper spray in my car, which is perfectly normal, the assistant DA acted like it was a big deal. Well, why did he have pepper spray in his car? Well, probably because simple fact is a lot of Americans carry non-lethal pepper spray either on them or in their car. Yeah, we have pepper spray in both our cars because if my wife's out alone... These supermarket shopping lots, Walmart shopping lots, what parking lots, whatever, and and who knows who's going to try to walk up to the car. Mm-hmm. So we have pepper spray in our cars. It's normal. And and also the fact it was also an illegal arrest. And I'll let me I'll explain that to you because see I was leaving a friend's house when this incident happened. My car was parked directly across the street from my friend's house. When the incident happened, I left. And then later on, I told my friend, I told him exactly what happened, and he tried to invite me back over. And I told him after that happened, I um, I was too, you know, shook up. I, di- I didn't want to go back. He uh, insisted. He said there was going to be some people there that I haven't seen in a while from uh, school. And um, I finally, he finally talked me into coming back. Later on, uh, cops knocked on the door, and he answers the door. He, and then he came upstairs and said, Mike, cops are here wanting to ask you questions. I answered the door. There's a black officer named Officer Odom, and there was a white female that was there, and they tried to ask me questions, and they wanted me to come out. And I said, I can talk to you from inside the door here. So I stayed inside the door, and I'm answering their questions, and I'm not being combative or anything. And finally, because the officer, the black officer, Odom, wanted me to step outside, and I refused, he just simply came in the house without a warrant, grabbed me by my arm, snatched me out of the house, and had me arrested. At that time, I was arrested for a misdemeanor called simple battery um, over the pepper spray incident. So he went in the house without a warrant, snatched me out, and I was I was arrested, which makes an illegal arrest anyway because he had no warrant to even come inside the house. Can I ask you how these niggers, did these niggers know you? Did they know who you were? Did they? No, no, I, I don't believe they did. I mean, I think this is what I think happened. Um that area that I was in, um, it's not really the worst area, but it's not the best either. And I just simply think that they were just walking through the area. They were under the influence. Both of them had beer balls in their hand. They were walking in the middle of the street. And I just think basically it was a, a crime of opportunity. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. And it was just you know, some random you know thing. I, I don't think they personally knew me or knew so, about who I was. That, that's I what I'm asking. How did, they, how did the cops find you after you pepper sprayed this guy? 
Um, I, well, I found out the information on how that happened. Now, the guy I sprayed, he didn't call the police, and his partner didn't call the police either. I found out later on that the mo- uh, the mother, who wasn't with them, called the police, and then um, the po- that's how the police got involved. The mother called. And my theory on why the mother probably called is the guy that I sprayed didn't obviously want to call because they're both drunk under the influence, and that would be a violation of their probation. So that's probably why he didn't want to have the police even involved. Now, the original account, the newspaper tried to act like it was me versus one person. They omitted the salient fact that there was another person involved to try, because if they would have mentioned that, the general public would have said, well, hey, there's two guys versus one. Whether it was in one versus one, it would have lent people to be more sympathetic to what happened to me. So they, they totally ignored that there was two of them. They just mentioned there was one of them. Media lies all the time, and, and, and very often it's by omission. So now you're jammed up with this simple assault charge, and you had, mm-hmm. as you've said before, you've had two hearings that were postponed until they decided to to elevate the charge to an aggravated assault. Well, yeah, they, they had me show up, of course, because I was on bond, and I was required by the bonding company to show up, which I did. I told them I would be there, and I, sh- I, I, I did exactly what I was supposed to do. And both times they had an excuse. You know, the first excuse was is the guy was in jail. He they couldn't produce them even though he's right there in jail behind you know behind the court. And then the second excuse is the officer was out of town. And then the third excuse was is well we we're just thinking about upgrading the charge and giving this to the DA's office. And I found out it was due to the influence of the white female officer Kathy Bush. And it was also under uh, the influence of this rabbi named Jeffrey Salkin, who runs a website called Martini Judaism. Well, well, if what I heard was true, I hope one lesson you learn is never to argue with a Jew, because it's. It, well, I, I, I have a, th- I have a thing. I, I agree with that. Now, I have a thing for debating people, especially people that right. are, uh, that, <laughs> that, that are. Uh, <laughs> Diametric, diametrically opposed to us, so I, I was wanting to beat him in debate, and even offered to debate him on live TV. And we had an email exchange, and um, apparently, um, once he could see that uh, he couldn't beat me in in debate, he uh, said, "Well, I will, I would no longer, um, you know, consort with a known white supremacist." That was his way out of it. Well, if I knew you then, I would have strongly advised you against even speaking to a Jew. They're, mm-hmm. they're not people. They're just devils. And, and they're only going to do everything they can to use your own words against you. Yeah, well, I think he was promoted because of me. Because, um, get this, after uh, he influenced the judge and the assistant DA, I found out very shortly thereafter he was promoted as the head of the Anti-Defamation League in the state of New Jersey. So this, um, anyone can see uh, that was probably a promotion due to his influence of having an activist railroaded by uh, the court system. That's, um, yeah, that's, it, it just exacerbated your problem. Because mm-hmm. he did say, "quote on of where he was voting about it, he was pivotal in the investigation." Right. And then he said he did a sermon about it that now regarding the banishment. Now I will know 
you know, how they felt regarding when they were banished, what, a total of 109 times from, you know, yeah, well, that Jew was never, country. Yeah, <laughs> that Jew was never banished, and, and if he wanted to, he could just get on a plane and go to Tel Aviv anytime he wanted. Uh, yeah. I mean, they use that as an excuse, right? That's all bullshit, and, and, and mm. <laughs> it, it's been the, um, the, the predicament for a long time that they could return to their homeland anytime they want if that was indeed their homeland that that they only use mm. that as a pretense so that they can Correct. continue to fleece white people in every nation that's all it is and and yeah we could talk about Jews I mean well his, history history will show that if you've been booted out of various places 109 times right. you may want to look at yourself because let's say of a landlord has booted out a tenant 109 times. It's not that they're anti-tenant. It's that, obviously, you're causing problems where you're staying at. Right. That's um, that's a whole other story. I mean, we could probably talk about that for <laughs> weeks, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, so your, your charge is elevated to an aggravated assault. Correct, and which I was facing get this up to... 20 years in prison over pepper spray. That's incredible. That's an incredibly stiff charge. And in fact, on, I got a assault. hold of the police report. There were no injuries. He didn't call an ambulance, and there was no injuries. And it even said no injuries. No metal, No uh, ambulance was called. It even said that on the police report. Yeah, the charge is ridiculous. The penalty is incredibly stiff for an aggravated assault. I never, I was in law enforcement for 12 years. I never saw anybody mm -hmm. do more than a, a year to 18 months for an aggravated assault where there's no permanent bodily injury. It, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. I, and, and even that would be considered a stiff sentence. Mm -hmm. Well, they seem very nervous. I was originally going to get this. I was going to take it to trial. And as soon as I told the judge I was taking the trial, he became nervous, called for a recess. And during the recess, I was escorted to a different room. And then my poet defender, Robin King, and her co-counsel, a black man named Raymond Lakes, and the assistant DA, Michael Craig, they were escorted into the judge's chambers, which was Superior Court Judge Bobby Peters. And after they had their little powwow meeting, it went to my public defender wanting to take it to trial, and she was confident she could win to either basically um, either you plead guilty to this or they're going to give you 20 years. So apparently deals and offers were made and inside uh, the chambers of Judge Bobby Peters, who's a registered Democrat in Columbus, Georgia, and bragged on his website that he won every black precinct. And he's black, I'm guessing. No, he is. He's 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 white. Wow. He's a white. He's a white male Democrat, Columbus, what, Georgia. What Kool Aid did they dispense in Columbus, Georgia, in in, in the schools for the last forty years? <laughs> what what? All these white people are are just um. Are, are they all carpetbaggers or something? Are, are they real well, Southerners? It's, it's very, it's very, uh, it's it's got a lot of leftists there. Um, every time I would put out, like I said, literature regarding various issues uh, regarding Jewish media control or illegal immigration or you know uh, the attack on the U.S. liberty, pretty much I had a down to a pattern that every two hundred flyers I would distribute, it would result into the cops being called on me. And some days I was putting out a thousand or more in one day. So, wow. so I mean, it I, it got, I got so used to talking to the police. I mean, it was like no big deal, really, because it, it happened so frequently over well, flyers. 
the entire political class of whites in Columbus, Georgia, is entirely reconstructed, I guess, right? But uh, what was really interesting is the fact that um, there was a friend of mine that was a sitting judge that was also a member of the National Alliance. He's deceased. His name was Judge Haywood Turner, and he was a, a personal friend of Dr. William Pierce, and he was my friend, and me and him used to have lunch together all the time and share stories and talk about various political things going on. And um, he was a very uh, intelligent man, um, you know, that uh, spoke several languages, and his IQ was well within the 160 range. And no one knew really about his affiliation. So, of course, I kept that to myself because I didn't want them to go after his career. Right. I, nobody knows more than I do, um, and I don't really want to get into my own past here, but nobody knows more than I do, I sure. don't think, of the pressure that could be on a man to take a plea bargain. Correct, when, yes. When you're looking uh, at I, an I, incredible I out, amount of time. I found time. out while I was in jail when they were sending letters to various defendants. They were always... Um, trying to put pressure on the defendant to accept a plea deal. In fact, one um, guy that I know received a letter from public defender Robin King, and she said, well, over 90% of cases are taken care of through plea deals. Now, I can imagine um, how we could dismantle this entire system if every person asserted their right to a jury trial and just they couldn't handle it because the caseloads are so big that they wouldn't know what to do, but it is your your right under well, the Constitution right. to a jury trial. So if everyone exercised that right, it would totally destroy the, the system. It totally. Would. I understand that. It absolutely would. But when you're looking at um, 20 years or, or 30 and, and all of a sudden you have an out in a year, it, it's, wow, that's... With all, especially if you're paying for your own attorneys, and and if you have a family, that can be mm-hmm. very very appealing. I understand stand that, and and it's easy. Yes, to that's another that. appeal that they did to people. I've noticed um, they would tell the person, "Well, hey, look here, um, you've already been in jail here for a year. We're going to give you time served and the rest on probation if you accept this plea deal." And they were so wanting to get back to their families and to. You know, their sons, their daughters, their fathers, their mothers, you know, that right. they're saying, okay, well, hey, I've already been here a year, and, you know, I want to be out with my family. So they'll they'll sign the dotted line very quickly because it's enticing that if you're promised you're going to get out and you're able to see your family again and get back to work, et cetera, you know, then a lot of people will say, hey, rather than fight this, I'm just going to go ahead and do what I can to get out. So you took a plea bargain for one year in, in prison – and it, yeah, it was a t- it was a ten year sentence um, with the rest to serve on probation plus banishment from Columbus, Georgia, and the five counties surrounding Columbus, Georgia. Wow! So you're banished from practically all of South, uh, yeah, well, West yeah, Central yeah, Georgia. Um, anyway, it's Columbus and five counties surrounding Columbus until it expires um, in 2021. That's incredible. Meanwhile, if you, if if your listeners um, look at the website ledgerinquirer.com, which is a newspaper for Columbus, Georgia, every single day you'll see extremely violent crimes, rapes, robberies, 
violent assaults, aggravated assaults, etc. And you'll notice something every time you'll finally you know see the outcome that they'll get sentenced to this or that or probation, you know, year or two in jail, what have you. They're never banned. So if you have this case law where you can ban me because you don't like my viewpoints, but you're not you know, you're not doing this and banning these violent criminals, then that speaks volumes in itself. So you accepted a plea bargain in November of 2011, and, and the unfortunate part about that is you forfeit any right to file a lawsuit for injustice is done, and, and you... You have to admit guilt and and basically go along with the prosecutor's version of how things played out, right? Uh, I mean, that's yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I was coerced by my public defender at that time when she took got out of the judge's chambers to basically she was putting pressure on me: either accept this or you're going to get 20 years. So So either accept it or roll the dice, you know, and. Get twenty years, and it wouldn't have been based on the facts of the case. It would have been based on, well, we're going to make sure the prosecutor's going to make sure that people hate you because of the the things you believe in and because uh, who you are, because you go against the status quo and you stand for uh, views that are deemed by them to be unacceptable and politically incorrect. So it wouldn't have been based on the facts. It would have been based on whether people like me or not. Right, and and I want to get to that before we before we end this. I hope we don't end it soon. Um, you went to a court hearing to withdraw your guilty plea seven months later. Correct. Yes, I well, I filed the paperwork while I was in jail before they sent me to prison, and they ignored it for a while. So finally, I filed you know, some more paperwork and asked them, well, hey, when I'm going to go to court for this? Because I had found out that. If you're coerced or you know you um, feel that you're given bad advice, you have the right to withdraw the plea and go back in front of the judge and you know seek a jury trial, and it starts you back at square one. And I filed the paperwork pro se myself, and it went back in front of Judge Bobby Peters, and he denied it. He shut it down. He said no. You know the, the conviction stands. So you never withdrew your guilty plea. You, you, you never. I, I was. I was. I was unable to because uh, he he wouldn't let me do it. Even though by what I read and my research that I did, I had every right to do it. I, I would imagine that the um, uh, okay one determining factor in making the guilty plea was that they had admitted to court something that that is totally unrelated to the incident and happened nine years before or or perhaps it was 11 years before the incident it was yeah, 11 yeah, years was, before the incident when was, you were just uh, in over, high school right co- correct uh, that was uh, let's see 1999 i believe so that would have put it yeah that would have been over yeah over 10 years old they were trying to use that against me something that was over 10 years old and they rarely do that normally if it's 10 you know 10 years or older it can't even be. It can't even be mentioned. Were, were you so. eighteen at this time? I think. Uh, so. Yes, I was. Yes. But you were you you weren't out of high school. Were you um, just about to graduate or something? No. no what wound up happening is um, they didn't like some of my activities with literature and organizing at the high school, so I wound up um, 
getting out of that high school, and I started going to night school, and then I took my pre-GED, and then eventually um, I took my GED test and got my GED diploma rather than graduating from that high school because they were trying to get rid of me because of the literature I was distributing and the organizing I was doing there at their school. Okay, I, I was wondering about that because this um, 1919, mm -hmm. 1999 incident where you original, mm -hmm. allegedly used a racial slur and, and threatened to kill a 15-year-old girl for, for whatever reason yeah, that, is immaterial, right? It's probably yeah, that, not even a that girl. Was, that, that wasn't even race-related. They were trying to make it race-related. The people involved were all white. It was the white female named Natasha something, and a, <laughs> a white male. What had happened is I was waiting for the mailman. I lived directly across the street from the high school, and these uh, teenagers okay. started threat, uh, threatening me and uh, that white female detective got involved. So I believe it was a setup by her because she's the one that got involved. And when I went outside later on to greet my dad getting off of work and a friend of mine, the cops pulled up really fast and threw me on the ground and arrested me. But no, it wasn't a racial incident because every single person involved in that situation were white. Okay, that's incredible. I just wondered why it was at a high school and you were 19, and, and I thought maybe that happened, it, even if it did happen or didn't happen while you were still in school, it's ridiculous to raise that incident yeah, 11 no, I years later. I, 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 I lived across the street um, from uh, the high school, and I was outside like I normally am waiting for the mailman at that time, and when they were walking around the track for PE class, uh, these people started, uh, for whatever reason, um, yelling threats towards me and I never went onto school property I stood there in my front yard had a verbal exchange with them didn't threaten anyone yeah. next thing I know it that white female detective became involved so I believe it was some setup by so her were you convicted of anything at that time well, did you have any conviction at that time uh, at that time at that current time no but uh, because of that female detective Kathy Bush um, that incident um was a uh, terroristic threats, even though no one was threatened at all, and I never set foot onto the school property. So, I was in my front yard, so, so it was you another charged, you were charged private spy that. Go ahead. You were charged with that. Correct. Yes, in nineteen ninety nine. But were you convicted? Un yes, unfortunately, okay. yes. Okay. 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 That's what all I want to know. They don't. Yeah, you know the um, the accounts I see online are pretty vague about that. I, I have to know that okay. because I'm I'm wondering why they insisted on bringing this up in a case 11 years later. Yeah, and plus the fact it wasn't even race related because how am I saying racial slurs to white teenagers when I am myself a white teenager? <laughs> yeah, right. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, so they were just they were just make they made up all sorts of things about me. They were even lying, saying I was uh, using racial slurs to the black officer that showed up when he was there to arrest me, and I didn't do no such thing, and even the police report you know, would show anyone that I didn't say anything. But, but they were willing to have the officer commit perjury just so they could sway the jury against me. The threat, the, the threat to bring all of this up in the 2010 case was one of the... Um what one one of the reasons why that you had and and I think that you countered that you tried to fight that and that was one of the reasons why you made a plea bargain. Well, yeah, the plea bargain was basically due to the you know being coerced by my public defender at that time, Robin King, who you know, said it was an easy case, 
you know, and that she could win it because it's self-defense and both of those men were on felony probation. But apparently the judge had some talk with her because her attitude totally changed after she came out of his uh, chambers, along with the meeting with the assistant DA, Michael Craig, who lied also in court, by the way, because he stated that when I sprayed the man, the guy's face, like his face, he felt like his face was belting. Well, in the police report, <laughs> it says the pepper spray landed on the back of his neck because when I reached for it, he turned away and it landed on the back of his neck. But so the, the assistant DA lied and said it felt like this guy's face was melting. So he willingly lied in court, even though he knows the police report says otherwise. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. So we have now we have cops who are willing to lie and commit perjury just to get you uh, convicted, and we have a uh, assistant DAs, you know, lying to uh, you know in court to try to get a conviction. <laughs> so, so Kathy Bush was there in 1999, and she was there dogging you 11 years later. Correct. Yes, yeah, she had been she had been stalking me um, ever since I became active with distributing the literature. Which would be back in, let's see, 94, 95 ish? 1995. So you were really young then? 13, 14 Correct. years old? Correct. Yes. Yes. Incredible. And that's when, basically, she stalked, started stalking me ever since the literature started getting put out. When did you go to prison? Uh, I went to prison. For the pepper spray incident, let's see, the incident happened in 2010. By the time I went to court in 2011 for that, um, I was in the county jail for a few months and then shipped to one of the most dangerous prisons in the state of Georgia called Jackson, Georgia Diagnostic Center. And you were on probation until 2021. Correct. So with one and they year keep in... They, they keep harassing me. Um, I was put on unsupervised probation because I did so well where I currently live in North Georgia. And what happened is uh, the same judge, Bobby Peters, put a warrant out for my arrest saying I didn't show up to probation in Columbus, Georgia. Well, I can't show up for probation in Columbus, Georgia because it was transferred here. They knew that. And I was told if I set foot in Columbus, banned. I'd be in violation of my probation. You were banned. That's, in, that's incredible. Um, yeah, and it, well, there's two lies. One lie was I didn't show up for probation in Columbus, which is one lie because they knew it was transferred here. And two, the second lie was they claimed um, that I had visited somebody in prison um, while I was on probation, which I did not. So when they came and arrested me here in Carsville because of a warrant, the Carsville police were um, extremely professional. Well, the ones that showed up, they were professional. It was a white female and a white male. And they said there was a warrant for my arrest. And when I asked her why, she says, a probation violation. I said, well, I haven't done anything to violate probation. She says, well, you haven't been in any trouble? I said, no, none. So I told her the truth. She did her job. And then I stayed here in the jail for two days. This is December 2016, by the way. I stayed in jail here for two days. Muskogee County picked me up. And I spent three weeks in the Muskogee County jail for violating probation that I didn't violate. And it caused me to lose my job, and I missed my daughter's first Christmas based on their lies. That shows you how vindictive these people are. That they get to a point where they even make stuff up just to arrest you. Yeah, you would never be able to get through probation in Columbus. 
Not in a million. No, years. I would never get through probation in Columbus because they would find any little thing to uh, uh, railroad me and put me back into the system and violate me. Right. So maybe the ban is and, working in your favor. <laughs> uh, probably so. Probably so to a certain extent. Yes. Even though it's kind of bad that um, my father he now he's here visiting me right now, but um, he lives in Columbus, Georgia, and if something were happening to him. I couldn't technically come and visit him, and he's the only surviving family member that I have. But you can have a child molester live next to you in Columbus, Georgia, so it shows you how much the DA's office really cares about the public safety and the welfare of children in Columbus, Georgia, when they allow sex offenders to roam the streets. Well, the the judiciary protects its child molesters. I know that from my own prison yeah. experience that they go out of their way to protect child molesters mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in prison. But yeah, I mean, I, I also, like I said, wanted to see people to see the, you know, what happened to me and then now what's happening to Christopher Cantwell because it all ties in together. It's just my case was years before his case, but it, I mean, it's the same thing. It's the lawful use of pepper spray to defend oneself, which we have a right to do, um, and by exercising that right, you shouldn't have to worry about, well, am I going to go to prison if I defend myself against violent people that are trying to harm me? I mean, that's bullshit. I mean, anyone knows that you have a right to defend yourself, but apparently if you hold unpopular viewpoints at the time, um, they're going to use the, the legal system to railroad you to make an example out of you because they don't want people to challenge their corrupt you know, system. Well, well, right, and you're only going to get in trouble if you're a white nationalist. And there are there are mud sharks, mud sharks, and rabbis with an axe to grind, but which seems to be the case in in your case. Oh yeah, when I went to court, uh, instead of mainly talking about what happened, they had a stack of flyers that the assistant DA was showing the judge and. You know, quotes that I had that Ben Franklin and George Washington said about the Jews and other stacks of flyers that I had distributed over the years. And it was 90% about my political flyers. So, I mean, who's next? Uh, would they um, would they mention the affiliation that if this black man over here robbed a store, well, Your Honor, he's a member of the NAACP? No, that wouldn't be mentioned. But if you're a, if you're a part of a white organization and you get in trouble with the law, then all of a sudden it becomes an issue. Well, of course, but that, that's, we should understand why. That's the Jewish agenda. So you were sent, you had one year in prison or two? Because, I, I mean, the original documents well, say after, that... Well, after fighting it, it wound up being slightly short under two, two years wow. after okay. fighting it. So, you were sent to a penitentiary with two years. Correct. Correct. With a one-year sentence, actually, you were sent to a yeah, but I, I I was I was appeal you know trying to appeal it and you know finally uh, the appeal came back and um, they had to assign me two attorneys from Atlanta, Georgia, and um, they didn't do what I asked them to do you know to win the case when I point out things that they could have done to win the case on appeal they didn't do that and so therefore the uh, my appeal was denied. So you didn't get the appeal. you didn't get any credit for your jail time towards your sentence. No. Wow. 
That, that's incredible. Yeah, it, they just basically just in Columbus, Georgia, they just they're a law unto themselves to just do what they want to do. Basically, you either have money for an attorney, or they're going to railroad you. That's pretty much you know what's going to happen in Columbus, especially if they don't like uh, what kind of viewpoints that you espouse. I spent like um, thirty minutes in custody in. 1994, when I was indicted by the feds, I spent 30 minutes in custody getting fingerprinted, and they let me go because I had a property bond. And eight years later, when I went to prison, or, or however long, no, I'm sorry, two years later when I went to prison, I'm thinking about my beginning of my case. Two years later when I went to prison, I, um, I, I got one day's credit, jail time, for that 30 minutes I spent in custody. In 1994. Interesting. That that's how yeah. typically it's done. I I mean I've seen a million cases, and and when you spend six months in jail fighting your case, and you you go to court and get a five year sentence, you get that six months credited towards your case. That's, I mean, it's very rare that judges rule. Well, what I was contrary I was thinking, to that, I was thinking of doing is eventually. Um, um, I was going to try to run an ad in the American Free Press regarding what happened to me, and so other people can see it. And basically, I'm, you know, hoping that people will boycott Columbus, Georgia. Don't spend any money there, you know. And if they're involved in any way with Columbus, Georgia, try to get rid of these uh, Democrats and communists that rule Columbus, Georgia. Well, maybe we could make a web page or something and and try to draw our attention to that. that yeah, I try to do that with my my blog. Um, it's an acronym: Win White Information Network. Okay. Okay, I never heard about it, but we'll post it when we post this podcast to Chris Degenia. You could Facebook me. You could PM me a link, right? Yeah, I can do that. So what was um was what was prison like for you? The white nationalist in prison? Did you have a hard time because of that? Um, certain people were um, all for me, and then other people, of course, you know, like the gang members and certain guards were, uh, you know, trying to make me as miserable as possible. So, you know, I, was, I came through it. So, I mean, if I can come through it, then other people can as well. So. Have you had any repercussions since prison? Have you had any repercussions um, to your activism since prison, or or any? Has your father? He's still in Columbus, Georgia. Has has he had a hard time because he's been pretty active himself? Well, well he had he did have knocks on the door. Um, he's actually about six feet from me. He had a knock on the door um, a couple of years ago because he wrote an article about how Columbus treated me. And when he sent that article to every member, it was non-threatening, by the way. I want to put that out there for legal reasons. It was non-threatening. And he sent one to every member of city council and to all the local judges about how it was treated and how it was a miscarriage of justice. By him doing that, one day, two sheriff's deputies knocked on the door to question him about a perfectly legal mailing to judges. And they talked to him for a while. And then they left and basically told him if he wanted to get in contact with their public servants, he needed to do so through the sheriff's office. So they were trying to use the sheriff's deputies, I guess, to intimidate my dad from not exercising his 
constitutional rights as an American citizen, and he's a veteran, by the way, you know, and it's it's pretty bad here in America. We have um, the police or, well, sheriff's deputies knocking on citizens' door because they sent a non-threatening letter to public officials that's protected under the United States Constitution. So he did that. They knocked on the door, and then later on he called me. After he called me, then I got a call to report to the probation office. When I did, I had to speak to a supervisor, and he said I was sending threatening letters to judges. And I said, first off, I didn't send any letters to any judge. Second off, if I supposedly sent a threat, show me because they would send you a fax of said threat. He couldn't produce anything, and finally I told the guy, matter-of-factly, that he was wasting my time and that I hadn't sent anything, and that's this harassment by Columbus, Georgia, and I was tired of it, and I was going to have an attorney file a lawsuit if they keep it up for harassing me. Finally, he said, you're too smart for your own good. I said, am I free to leave? He said, yes. And then I hadn't heard back since then until the December uh, incident of December 2016 where a warrant was placed on me by Columbus, Georgia on false pretenses. So now they're getting to a point where they want to silence you. Now they're not even making – you don't even have to commit a crime or commit a violation of your probation. They just simply make something up put a warrant against you and then arrest you and then drag you through the system again, hoping that you'll lose your job, which I did. And on top of that, maybe you'll lose your apartment because you can't pay bills while you're inside. So it's to cause you financial hardship, which is a, you know, a cause for uh, economic terrorism on their part. It is. Absolutely. That That's incredible. Now, had I not had money set aside, I would have lost my apartment and, I was lucky enough that I had someone staying here at the time to take care of my cat because if I'm behind the wire and no one's here to feed my animal, then eventually my animal's going to die, and that really would have um, caused me, uh, you know, a lot of angst and uh, a, a lot of, uh, you know, stress and um, grief, and I, I would have uh, found some way to legally retaliate, of course, because you know, um, you basically because of your actions have caused me a lot of sorrow. Are you married? No, I'm not. I'm not married at this time. No, I have okay. uh, a daughter and my dad and my girlfriend, and I have uh, a pet cat named Mittens that I that I raised since he was a kitten. The so. case didn't cost you your marriage, did it? I'm just. I'm not prying. I'm just wondering. No, no, no. It didn't. Okay. I was. It didn't do any of that. It just basically caused me to lose my job. I was making uh, decent money here. Um, where I stay, I was making decent money, and I lost the job. And get this, when I went to go get the job back, even though I was a good employee, never missed a day, I was a good worker, um, someone tipped off my job, who I was, and they wouldn't rehire me. So who do you think that could have been? Columbus, Georgia. Well, probably. No one else had a motive. Right. You'll, well, so, right, you got to watch the Annie Fowl doggy for years and the anti-racist action yeah. and people like that. So these, these people here, I mean, they have no morals whatsoever. They're very hate-filled, you know, mean-spirited, vindictive people, you know, and um, I was even told by the judge in Columbus, Georgia, that I could even come visit my grandmother if, if, if she was on her, you know, deathbed, so to speak, and if I got caught anywhere in Columbus, I would be going back to prison. And in fact, at one time, they did try to send me back to prison again. I forgot to tell you about a hearing I had. Um, Detective Kathy Bush claimed she received some literature in her mail. Now, I didn't have her address, 
by any chance. Do they monitor any incoming outgoing mail while you're in the county jail? She claimed I sent her some kind of literature. And did you know that I have to have I had to have an attorney uh, fight that because they were trying to revoke my probation and send me back to prison for nine years based on uh, this Kathy Bush woman uh, receiving some literature in her mailbox that I had nothing to do with because I didn't have her address and they monitor your incoming and outgoing mail while you're in the county jail. So the police can file false police reports at will and, and suffer no repercussions, right? Yeah, pretty much, yes, yes. And anyone can look up uh, the Jeff Fox story. Um, just type in Jeff, Jeffrey, or Jeff Fox, F-O-X-X, and Columbus, Georgia, police officer, and they can read the accounts of him um, pulling white motorists over for basically being white. And could you imagine the outcry if, if it was a white cop pulling over people because they're black. Right. The media would be talking about it, and that white cop would be fired. But this guy here, it took them forever to finally get rid of him, and there was no um, there was no charges of civil rights violation, you know, brought against him for you know using uh, you know his badge to um, racially profile white people. I'm actually looking at that article right now on your. White Information Network blog. It's News for Whites. News and the digit for newsforwhites.blogspot.com. Yes, I created that uh, many, many, many years ago to you know cover um, a wide variety of topics. I like to put videos on there for the non-readers, and then sometimes I like to put articles on there. You know, either promoting something or you know uh, something that I find. Of interest, or something that I find that may be interesting to uh, my audience. Right, that's fine. That, that's uh, I mean. I also that's... have another article that I, you may be aware of. That it's an excellent article. It was written by uh, Andrew Anglin of the Daily Stormer, and it's called "We Are All Michael Weaver." And he wrote an extremely lengthy article of everything that happened to me by Columbus, Georgia. He even has a picture of one of the guys that tried to get in my car and a picture of the rabbi Jeffrey Salkin that was um that influenced the judge to railroad me in regarding the Spanishment. You've been getting more exposure than that. You're on the um Occidental Descent blog, Hunter Wallace. Yeah, Occidental Descent is um is is a blog that it's uh it's under the control of my friend Brad Griffin, which is his pen name is Hunter Wallace. He's a personal friend of mine. Yes, we know that the um, NTL conservative blog, which is really like a, a conservatard Tea Party blog, but even they have a um, even they say that you're railroaded in Columbus, Georgia. So yeah, it, it's um, the cases. It, it has some minor exposure. I mean, we should have more than that. It would be good if you mm. could write an article just quantifying the injustices, focusing on the injustices that were done to you, but not only be, before your um, prison term, but even after you've been released. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That this um, Kathy Bush claim and, and some of these other, uh, that this probation officer that filed a violation of probation. <laughs> and you yeah, and it's funny. In the county. He finally I, saw me in jail, he says, I'm your probation officer. And I said, you know what? It's kind of funny because my probation was transferred to a different county because it had to have been because I'm banned from Columbus. And I was like, you know, if you're my probation officer, it's kind of funny. I don't know who you are, and I've never seen you before. 
So magically, now you're my probation officer, and I've never seen you or had a word with you before. I mean, come on, get out of here. I mean, I know this was total bullshit. They just made something up and then put a warrant out for me, and I never even saw a judge, by the way. Um, they had me sign some paperwork to be released, and after doing the three weeks in the county jail in Muskoka County, losing my job and my daughter's first Christmas, I'm kicked out. My dad's able to come pick me up, and then I'm given an ultimatum to be out of town by 8 p.m. <laughs> so they make the mistake and then expect me to be out of their town by a certain time when they're the ones that brought me back into their town. So what are you doing now? Well, right now, um, I'm working yet again, and I, I guess until they uh, find out where I work at and, and uh, have me fired, and right now I'm working again, and uh, everything's uh, going pretty good. So, And, and, and from a um, white nationalist activism viewpoint? Oh, or I'm going to continue. Go ahead. Or are you Go just ahead. laying low? I, I, I wouldn't blame you for that until you're off probation. Well, right? no, I mean, I still, every now and then, I'll write an article or, you know, every now and then for uh, a publication called The First Freedom that's put out by Olaf Childress of Silver Hill, Alabama. And then other times I'll update my blog and put something on my blog. Or um, another thing I like to do is, uh, you know, uh, hand out um uh, literature such as the first freedom to people to you know get new subscribers and also to uh let them know uh, of of how the media lies to us on uh you know very important issues so uh i like to um try to get as much information out as possible into people's hands because you can't change the system unless you educate people first well well so education okay. comes before Action. You educate the people, they see what's going on after being educated about the subject matter, right. and then they go from that step to wanting to do something about it. It's my opinion we can't change the system at all. We have to educate people so that we can destroy it. That, that's, what, that's what I'm looking at. Yes. Um, you're a good friend of Hunter Wallace, so are you in the League of the South? Um. I am not a member. I am a supporter at this time. Um, I have been thinking about joining them. Um, a lot of people that I've met through the League of the South um, are, I find, to be very intelligent, um, very uh, passionate about their cause. And I've helped uh, members of the League of the South on numerous occasions for us distributing literature and helping them to organize. Um, in fact, I had uh, helped them organize in a busy area here where I live, where we sit on the busy intersection and handed out literature and held signs. Good. And that got us a lot of uh, positive feedback. Okay. Are you still a National national Alliance? What's what, I don't even know what state the national, what, what state of affairs they're in. Um, I, I no, I'm, I'm not a member. I'm not a member anymore of the National Alliance. Um, I um, unfortunately, they... I, get, I get, well, I gave a, I gave a speech back in 2010 at the National Alliance Leadership Conference in West Virginia. Um, people can look that speech up online. It's called The Importance of Idealism by Michael Weaver. And that was the spe first uh, public speech that I have I ever gave. You know. Well, I'm going to give you the opportunity to post your story at the Dixie site at Christie. Okay, yeah, just send me, feel free to uh, PM me the link and I'll, uh, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll have to make an account. 
and and um, this podcast will be posted at the main site at Christiania. Is there anything okay about what about what time? Oh, tonight sometime. Is there anything okay, else you want to say? Is there anything? I mean, do you have closing remarks? Well, do, you, do you have a? Um, yeah, if if anyone wants to uh, talk to me personally, um, you know, I'm I'm on Twitter under M Weaver one five two one. I'm also on Facebook, and if they want to send me an email, that would be um, my personal email is musclemk24 at gmail.com. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for being with us, Michael. Uh, thank you for uh, ha- giving me the time to uh, get out my story and to expose the anti-white system of Columbus, Georgia, which has Soviet-style uh, uh, kangaroo courtrooms. And um, if you uh, say things they don't like, they'll have the NKVD uh, arrest you. Yeah, we, we um, definitely could. I, I mean, th- this whole case is um, pretty incredible that a pepper spray incident, which is typically a simple assault and, and a smack on a wrist, uh, I mean, what, what, probation, 30 days in the county jail? That, that it yeah, and the fact, the fact that I wasn't even on probation when this happened, I was on no form of probation whatsoever. The two guys, though, they were on probation. So by consorting with one another and by drinking beer bottles and walking in the middle of the street, which is, I mean, they were already in violation of the terms of their probation. And when I mentioned that in court, nobody didn't want to talk about that. So, okay. Thanks for joining us, and and um, thank you. I'll see you on Facebook, or or I'll send you a private message with a link to the podcast. All right, sounds good. Look forward to it. Thank you. Praise Christ. All right, take care. Okay, before we go to tonight, I want to talk a, a few minutes about um, the book situation at Christagenia. First, let me say that Jim Jester of the Fellowship of God's Covenant People in Union, Kentucky, has published a Christian identity hymnal. Imagine that. And we gave him permission to use our name. So you can find the Christogenia hymnal on lulu.com. If I'm not mistaken, Debbie Downey, who's a um, talented Sunday church organist, the wife of Pastor Mark Downey, also assisted with the creation of the hymnal. It is a traditional Christian, American Christian, Protestant type hymnal oriented towards identity Christians. The description of the book from Lulu reads that this compilation of hymns relies heavily upon the post-Reformation period. There are hymns traditionally known as Methodist, Baptist, or Lutheran hymns. Now there are hymns that will come to be known as Christian identity hymns, such as O Israel Awaken, or Jerusalem, the Glastonbury hymn, or God's Covenant People. We would ask our listeners, those who are musically inclined, to support this endeavor by purchasing a copy at Lulu. At first... I was supposed to lend a cover design to this hymnal, but I am happy that that did not happen because the hymnal also would probably be cancelled as my own books, Christrike and the Christogenia New Testament, have been terminated by Lulu, along with my own account there. 
Terminating my account after over eight years, Lulu used the vague excuse that your content, titled Christrike, a commentary on the revelation of Yahshua Christ, may be, not is, but may be in violation of the Lulu membership agreement. So my account was terminated immediately based on that vague statement. But of course there was no specific complaint or example of offending content. Now, we all know that Christrike, if you're not a white Christian, probably has plenty of offending content. But Christianity is supposed to offend the enemies of Christ. That's the fabric of the religion. And for this reason, the book links at Christagenia websites have pointed to a non-existent page since September 21st. We were initially hoping that anyone who attempted to buy our books from that time would complain to Lulu.com when they are confronted with the page not found error message. But while I published the termination notice along with some comments in the Christagenia forum, I never really publicized the problem on the main website. I didn't want to give my enemies the satisfaction of seeing it. I also haven't spoken of the problem in these podcasts until now. So over the past two months, we have gotten at least a dozen email inquiries from people looking to purchase our books, but right now we have no books to sell them. Now I am looking for another publisher, and I think the final solution may be that I will have to acquire and front out the money to get a few hundred books published and hope to sell them in short order in order to recoup the original investment so that I could get more books published. In other words, we're going to have to spend money in advance to print hundreds of our own books at a time. And I will sell the books on a Christogenia website, and perhaps some of, have some of our friends help with the shipping part. So we need about $3,600 to print 200 hardcover copies of the Christogenia New Testament, but the softcover price is only about a third of that. We would have to sell the hardcovers for about $36 each to make the endeavor worthwhile. Christrike is not so many pages, so 200 hardcover copies would be just over $3,000 to print. Because of the large capital outlay, we may stick to softcover for quite a while. I would just have to work out the payment method. PayPal canceled our account back in late May of this year. And while I have started a new PayPal account, if I publish it on my website, they will certainly cancel that one as well. I'm not saying this as a petition for funding. I'm saying these things so that our readers and those, our listeners, and those who are looking for books understand the obstacles that we must overcome to get books printed since Lulu canceled us. I've looked at alternative methods of printing and the terms of service at places like Cafe Press and, and other similar uh, 
publish on demand websites that they're um they may as well have been written by the Southern Poverty Law Center or the ADL. And there even some of them are even much worse than Lulu's terms of service. Over these past eight years, I have material for perhaps, I've acquired and written, I've written material for perhaps 20 or even 30 more books quite easily. I would love to start putting that together and actually had planned to do so for some time now. I thought that this coming winter, I would finally be in a position to do so. Now that I may have to capitalize every book up front just to get a few hundred copies printed, I'm going to be restricted as to how many more books I can possibly put into circulation in the future. But I'm not alone. To show you what we are up against, the following letter is from a fellow League of the South member. He doesn't know me, but we're on the, we're both on the members only League of the South mailing list. The following letter is from a fellow League of the South member who has a business called A to Z Publications. And they print rather mainstream conservative and conspiracy books, sort of along the lines of what you might find in the Barnes Review or or similar venues, and probably not even as extreme as what you find in the Barnes Review. And here is what Adrian Craig, Adrian Craig, the proprietor of A to Z Publications, here's what he said on a leagued mail server recently. He said, and he wasn't responding to me when he said these things. He was responding to a, another party. He said, you think you have problems. Since the Southern Poverty Law Center listed my company, a corporation, as a hate group, the following has taken place. Lightning Source, our printers for 17 years, canned us. Ingrams, our international booksellers, canned us. Now, Lightning Source is actually a subdivision of Ingrams. Our books and names of authors were removed from local booksellers' computers. Our ability to deliver books to foreign nations has been halted. Our sales are tanking. No one seems interested in supporting or joining in a contingency class action suit against the SPLC. We have some real problems. Signed, Dr. Adrian H. Craig, or Craig, K-R-I-E-G. I'm sorry I butcher these German and French names all the time, and probably most of the other languages as well. Well, Lightning Source... Before I saw this, I myself was looking into Lightning Source as a probable or as a possible replacement for Lulu. And of course, now after reading Dr. Craig's dilemma, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to pursue that avenue any further, even though I had already been in contact with them on the, on the phone. I'm just giving up. So if, if they had a problem with, um, Tom Sunick, who's one of his authors, and and similar authors like that, they're certainly not going to like my material, and they're certainly just going to cancel me. So I just wanted my listeners to to understand what we're up against. 
um, trying to get books published. Now I'm looking at another online publisher and I think that everything will be okay, that I'll be able to get books published there as long as I don't attempt to do print-on-demand and allow that online publisher to retail the books on our website. If I do that, I can guarantee you it's not going to last, that we're just going to be shut down again. That's the opposition that we're up against in, in this world today. I'm going to have to get my books printed a few hundred at a time and mail them out, and we'll mail them out ourselves, and, and that's what I'm looking at now. And I hope to be able to actually, I'm going to start experimenting with that, I pray, as early as Monday or Tuesday. So, that's all I have to say about that dilemma, and I'll probably make further announcements here in, in the near future. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh the God of Israel, and good night. Rock is so big. I changed my mind.
Yeah, you black bastards! 